This will be our third part on truth versus deception. It's going to go for, I believe the Lord would have to go for several more weeks. But uh, it's no, and I say it, and I'll probably say it every, every Sunday, just because it's not, I don't feel like it's my particular calling like a Dave Hunt, who we looked at his video this morning, uh, a Berean call like uh, T.A. McMahon, to, to spend their time as believers exposing error. I admire that. That's a certain calling on people's lives. I do believe the Lord has made me and every pastor a watchman on the wall and a good shepherd. And there are times we have to uh, look at spiritual deception and error and even point those out, point them out by name. That'll be a whole other sermon in itself in this series about uh, marking those that cause divisions uh, contrary to sound doctrine. And we'll look at that, but we're just going through this as God as God leads us because it is the Bible says that deception is is the prominent uh, spiritual characteristic of the end times. There are other characteristics when you read uh, Matthew 24, for example, and Jesus is speaking about end times events that are still future. He talks about earthquakes and, and pestilences and wars and rumors of wars. But this, those are almost uh, natural phenomenon or things that are going on in life and in society and in nature that the Lord's allowing to happen or causing to happen. But the spiritual characteristic of the end times is deception. Okay? False doctrines, false Christ, false prophets, uh, other spirits besides the Holy Spirit. And so it is important that we understand this, that we're not oblivious to it. That we just don't go naively through life thinking that everyone that says they're a Christian is a wonderful born-again person who believes just like you and I do. Because they don't. And it's not at the same time that we should be suspicious of everyone. You know, and not trust in anyone. And we can never read a Christian book. We can never uh, go to a neighborhood Bible study or, or never, you know what I mean, listen to a, a sermon on the radio or you're on the internet or something like that. It's not like that. It's, it's that we have to be cautious and we have to be wise. And we do have to be Bereans. And we do need to walk closely with Jesus. The answer to all of it, y'all, is to walk closely to the Lord. Okay? And I've shared this example before. And I may be getting a little ahead of myself. You know the example, but I'm going to share it again. The federal agents in, the, in our government that are trained to detect counterfeit currency so that they can get it off the, out of the marketplace, basically, and out of circulation, they are not trained to go and study and look at counterfeit bills. And oh, here's one from 1972, and here's how they've improved, and here's one that we just found. I'm sure they might look at some of those. But they're not trained to detect counterfeit bills by looking at other counterfeit bills. You know how they're trained to detect counterfeit bills? They're, they're trained by looking at the real U.S. legitimate currency morning, noon, and night. Picking it up, feeling it, smelling it, holding it up to the light, getting it wet, crumpling it up, seeing how it acts, reacts, and, and so forth. Getting so familiar with the real currency, this is legitimate, that when anything fake or false would pass across their path. They're counting bills really fast, like the tellers at the bank. And, and, and uh, Dee says she's seen them do it before. They're counting out 20s or something, or one, pop, 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 all of a sudden they'll stop and they'll throw one out. And uh, because they're so used to handling the real, 
that anything that's false, no matter if it's false in this way or false in that way, or it's, it's you know what I mean, the color, the, the texture, whatever is different, they just know it's not like the real. That you, I can't think of a better uh, analogy than thinking, how do we walk closely to the Lord? How are we not deceived? How do we live in such a way that we're not deceived? It's not a fear. We don't live in fear that, oh no, today I might be deceived. We live closely to the Lord. And if I drift from the Lord, then there's a lot of things I could should be concerned about. But if I'm staying close to the Lord and making it a, a matter of, of choice and a conscious effort to pursue after God, to follow after peace and holiness, to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, I don't have to live in fear of being deceived. But we're not to be ignorant either. The Bible says we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. That's his tactics and his schemes. And so I want you to open with me if you're in, your, in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now Paul talked a lot about doctrine. He talked a lot about walking in the truth, knowing the truth, continuing the truth. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, especially in First and 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is the last epistle that Paul wrote before he was martyred for the Lord and beheaded in Rome. It's, a, it's only four chapters long, and he's speaking to his young disciple who's the pastor of the church at Ephesus, Timothy. And he's, I know I've said it before, but when somebody knows that they're about to die, we don't always know when we're going to die, but the Lord showed some people they were about to die. And Paul knew that the time of his departure was at hand, he says in this chapter. So what you're not going to be frivolous and how you spend that last time on the earth, right? If you know you have just at any moment, they're going to call for my execution and call me out there. He's writing this last letter, and it's important. All the Word of God is important, but just keep that in mind. This is the last letter that he wrote to Timothy. And I want us to read um, just 3 and 4. Just verses 3 and 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And I want us to talk. We're going to come back to that scripture. That's our main scripture. Uh, and one other one this morning from, from 1 Timothy for, for today. If you don't know that scripture, you're not familiar with it, highlight it, take a note, and be familiar uh, with that. I think it's very, very important, especially to what we're talking about. But I want us to talk today about what makes deception work, so to speak. In other words, we know Satan's behind it, okay? But what makes it effective? What actually uh, makes it work? Why is it that five people could be sitting in a room all exposed to maybe the same false doctrine in some example, okay? Some point. And Three, give heed to it, and two, don't. What, what, is it, what is it that makes a person, three are deceived by it, and two are not? What is it that causes or allows the individual, and what is my responsibility in this to not be deceived, whereas somebody else might be deceived? What, and I just want to look at this. What, what gives deception its power? We know it's tricky. We know it's subtle. We know it's crafty. Um, but what gives it its power in a, purpose, in a person's 
heart or mind uh, or spirit. And again, we know Satan is behind it. We, how do we know that Satan is behind it? He is the origin of all that's false. We're talking about spiritual things. We're not talking about mathematical equations, okay? Or something like that. What is false? Jesus is the truth. And everything outside of that would be of the spirit of Antichrist. And we've talked about the word Antichrist. And it has the word prefix anti has two meanings. And they both fit Antichrist, alright? One is opposed to. Okay, opposed to Christ. At every turn, Satan is opposed to Christ. And the spirit of Antichrist is opposed to the Word of God, Jesus, uh, the truth of the Lord, people coming to Christ, the people of God. He's opposed to that. But also, anti in place of Christ means in place of. In place of Christ. And both apply to Christ. <clears throat> in, the, in that way, He can come in a sh- as a wolf in sheep, sheep's clothing and appear to be of Christ or Christ or of the Lord or godly or speaking the truth when, that, when He's actually not. Uh, is in place of and He wants men to worship Him thinking that they're worshiping Almighty God and they're worshiping something or someone that's false. And Satan receives that as worship unto himself. The Bible says now in Genesis 3, now the serpent was more, more subtle than all the beasts of the earth which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said you should not eat of every tree of the garden? He put in question. There's a question mark there. And he, he is the liar, the Bible says. Jesus said that in John 8. And the father of lies. And so he is the source that's behind it. The Bible says that uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, this is a scripture we've used a lot, 3 and 4 if you're taking notes, that uh, Paul was concerned for the believers, not just the lost world, concerned for the believers in Corinth that he had led to the Lord and discipled, lest Satan as he had, uh, through his subtlety, had deceived Eve that they might be Moved or deceived or seduced from the simplicity that's in Christ unto another Christ, another gospel, another spirit. He was concerned because Satan is subtle. He's crafty. He's tricky. He invents the lie and or the doctrine and he perpetuates it. Okay, and the perversions and the half truths. And where do you think that Joseph Smith, for example, the the founder of the Mormon religion. Where did that thought first come to him? It came from the enemy. It came from another Christ, so to speak. Not Christ, but the spirit of Antichrist. How do we know that? Because it's false. It's in opposition to the Lord. And it's in place of the Lord. And it mixes some truth and some uh, recognition or picture of adhering to the Bible with false and blends it together, but the Lord never does that. He's not First Corinthians chapter twelve, uh, fourteen. He, he's not the author of confusion. He is not. He doesn't mix false and truth. He stands alone as truth. And we talked about it last week. His word is forever settled in heaven. Settled means it's established like a pillar, like a rock. It's set up there, and and things might come against it. And when the when the dust settles, and when the storm's over, it's still standing there. The truth does not change. And so Satan is the author and inventor of these these lies and half-truths. And then he can even, the Bible tells us, perform 
because he is a supernatural being, or quote, validate, I'm putting quotes there, his lies and lying, by lying signs and wonders. That's what the Bible says. And so, but even so, what actually causes an individual to be deceived? He's good at what he does. The devil's good at what he does. But what actually causes a person to be deceived? What's the catalyst? You know what I'm talking about when a catalyst, and I'm not an expert in science, but I took chemistry and I, I took chemistry a couple of classes at LSU and you know, a catalyst would be something. Here's, a, here's a, a liquid and another liquid that are harmless by themselves, but when you put them together or when you add this to that mixture, it, it puts off toxic fumes or it sets it on fire or it makes it... It was just kind of sitting there by itself, but something added to it made it deadly. Okay? Let's just leave it at that. That's, that's the extent of my science knowledge. Um, so what causes it to be effective in an individual that hears it? You've heard false doctrines before. You've heard, we heard some uh, quoted, in the, uh, quoted you know, from the, the video we watched this morning. So we, always, we are often hearing things in the name of the Lord that are not the Lord. Statements and doctrines and beliefs. What is it that would cause someone to actually be deceived by that? Here's our other scripture for today. The one we read in 2 Timothy 4. Turn to 1 Timothy 4. Another familiar passage, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. We're just going to read that one verse. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, and we are living according to the Bible, that's not me making it up, according to the Bible, we are in the end times. We're not in the last of the last days, but we're in the end times leading to the return of the Lord. In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Always that's noticed they had to been part of the faith or in the faith, at least in name and in some, some agreement to the faith. Um, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And I believe just from studying the, the catalyst that, that causes an individual to be deceived by the false and by that spirit of Antichrist and by the lies and false doctrines is when an individual gives heed to it. That's a verb. That's, a, that's an action word. And I want to define it for you. I think it's very telling. When the Bible says some are going to depart from the faith giving heed, this is how they're going to depart, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They're seducing spirits. Satan is a, is a seducer and a deceiver. And, and it's doctrines of what? Devils. It's not just doctrines of men. It's doctrines of devils. And there's a power behind it. The power doesn't have to have an effect on your life or my life. It has a power when the individual who hears it gives heed to it. You might have rejected thousands of false doctrines in your life, but a new one comes along today and you give heed to it. We've got to be careful. We have to be cautious, okay? Giving heed to. Here's the definition of giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devil or giving heed to anything. Giving heed means to hold to mind, to pay attention to, to attend, to have regard to. And these last two I really like for this, this discussion. To apply oneself to and to adhere to. So then it makes more sense. If I hear a seducing spirit and a doctrine of devils and I apply myself to that false. And I didn't think it was false maybe, but I applied myself to that false. And I 
uh, adhered to it, like I stuck to it. I gave attention to it, well-meaning attention. Let me pull up my chair and hear this. I've never heard this before. This is exciting. Look how many people are liking this. Everybody's saying amen. This is wonderful. This is new. I've never heard this before. And you pull up your chair and you give ear to it and you give attention to it and you mull it over in your mind and you start going after it. And that is giving heed to. And so this, I would say this honestly, and you can correct me if you find something. I know Satan is deceiving and he has this subtlety and trickery and there are supernatural lying signs and wonders. I understand all that. But what really makes that deception effective in my life is not all that Satan's doing. The only thing that actually results in a man or woman being deceived by a false teacher or false teaching is when he or she gives heed to it. According to that definition that we looked at. And this is what our adversary, the devil, the Bible says he's our adversary, the devil, is looking for. This is what he's after. He's not just promoting the false. He's promoting the false in such a way to where hopefully people will give heed to it. And, and to his seducing spirits and doctors of devils and think that it's the truth. Or this is some new part of truth. Isn't that what Mormonism? This is a new thing added to the Bible. Two books. The Book of Mormons and the Pearl of Great Price. And here's your Bible laying on the desk and they say we believe that. And on top of that, they stack the Book of Mormons. And on top of that, they stack, stack the Pearl of Great Price. And we believe all of this. Well, those don't agree with each other. They don't agree with each other at all. So which do they give? They're going to follow one and not the other. So if there's a conflict, they go with their the visions or the, the revelation, so to speak, of, of Joseph Smith in the Catskill Mountains of New York, okay, when the angel Moroni appeared to him. And so God is greater. I said at the beginning, we don't have to live in fear of this, but God is greater, our God is greater, and can keep us from falling. How does he do it? We'll have one whole sermon devoted to this. This is not it today. But he keeps us by his spirit of truth, and His Word of truth that is hidden in our hearts that we don't sin against God. The Word of God, which is forever settled in heaven, believed upon and obeyed consistently. It doesn't mean we never sin, but consistently obeyed in our daily lives. So God has provided a sure defense against deception. Would you all agree with that? An impregnable uh, in. Uh, defense against deception. He has given it to us. He has provided it for us. And His people absolutely do not have to be deceived. But I will say this, there is no other defense than the one that He's given. So this is important, right? His defense is sure. It's complete. Satan cannot penetrate it in the life of one of his children. In one of God's children. Okay? But there is no other defense. He's our fortress. He's our rock. He's our shield. He's our buckler. He's our deliverer. He is our defense against against deadly deception. Uh, God knows this. And guess what? Satan knows this as well. So one of Satan's schemes is to get us away from the Lord. Those that really know Christ even. To get us away from the Lord through busyness, through... uh, discouragement. We feel like God's been unfair to us and hasn't answered our prayers. 
through the different, whatever tactics. I mean, you can invent some yourselves. You know the tactics that the tactics that he used. Get us away from church. Get us away from the body. Get us away from serious, thoughtful time in God's word. I'm just talking about reading real quick as I finished and go. But serious time in God's word. Get us away from the altar. Get us away from the prayer closet, uh, and get us caught up in other things because Christ is our defense. His word and His Spirit in our hearts and lives. And it's impen- impenetrable. But there is no other defense besides that. Okay? And there's, and I'll say this, there's no defense against deception, spiritual deception in the life of the person who turns from the truth and refuses the truth and then gives heed to the false. There's no defense for that one. And then come back to Christ. You understand what I'm saying? But there's no defense for the one who says, I think I got this on my own. I'll leave the truth and the good doctrine over here and the Bible and the Bible study and my prayer time and everything over here. And I'm going to go after this for a little while. It's interesting. I see a lot of other quote Christians going after it too. There's no more defense other than returning to the defense, the Lord. So that person is just set up for the deceit. The one who refuses the truth and gives heed to it, they're just set up for it because the only defense that they had was to not give heed to it and to stay in what they knew to be true. And I'll just read uh, this scripture real quickly from Isaiah. We don't have a lot of scriptures, but he says, uh, in, in the Lord's rebuking his people, for, and he's saying, This is what you've said of yourself, Judah, for we have made lies our refuge. We've made lies our refuge and under falsehood have we hid ourselves and the Lord's saying there's no defense for that instead of making Christ your defense and hiding yourself in the truth and in the word of God you've made lies your defense and under falsehood have we hid ourselves it was talking about false beliefs and false teachers and so forth that they had trusted in and he's rebuking them for that I'll give an example to this uh, saying that Christ is a sure defense in all that He provides for the believer, but there's no other defense than that for the person who refuses that. There's no other defense. Okay? And I'm just trying to think up some examples. If somebody was, uh, they were going to go on some kind of, you know, survival training in the desert, somebody's going to drop them out there for one week, they're going to be in the desert. And, but they're given a, a, a covering for shade, and they're given an ample supply of water, and food, and everything that they would need for the seven days to survive there. But after four days, they say, you know what, I'm getting tired of just drinking these rations of food. You know, I want something else. And I'm getting tired of drinking just water. I want a Powerade, you know. I want a big glass of iced tea or cold lemonade. I'm sick of all this stuff. And so they refuse what's given to them. There's no defense, right? They'd be ignorant to do that. But the point is, they were given everything they needed to survive, but if they refuse what they're given to survive, then they have no defense against dehydration or whatever it would be out there. And, you know, same for a soldier that's trained. And you could, we could look at uh, different kind of examples for that. But our adversary, the devil, is always present. He's, he's around. Let's put it that way. He's not present like God in our hearts who... Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. But Satan is always around. 
He's always around. He comes to us more forcefully at, at, at times than other times. Uh, but He's always around trying to entice us, entice believers to be discontent. Like the, the person's trying to survive in the wilderness. They're discontent with water. Just tired of kind of lukewarm, cool water. I want ice cold iced tea. And He wants the believer to be discontent. So that's something we have to guard against. Satan is always present. He wants you to be discontent with, with Jesus. He's just not enough. But look what's happening at that church over there. You see what I'm saying? Look what's happening. Read this book. Remember I said that somebody hands you a book and you're a believer and they're saying this will change your life? Be wary of that. Uh, he's always trying to make believers discontent. Discontent with the Bible. Discontent, we want to hear something new, right? Uh, discontent with our prayer lives. Dif- discontent with our experiences with God or maybe our lack of experiences with God. And so I know that I've shared this example and I want to, I want to share it again. And please forgive me, but it's true and it's such a good one, okay? Some of y'all might not have heard it, but this is a true story in a book I was reading um, about a Baptist minister and he had gotten to a place in his life, in his walk with the Lord, and in his ministry where he felt burnout, so to speak. He, he felt his prayer life was dead, his ministry was dead, his relationship with God just seemed to have no life in it, and he was seeking some kind of spark, okay? Nothing wrong with that, okay? But we seek him accordance to his work. We fast and pray. We get at the altar. We seek him in his word. You understand what I'm saying? We get with what we know to be true from the revealed will of Word of God. But this man was in his office one day just kind of wondering if he could really go on in the ministry even anymore. And a friend of his comes. I wonder now for how much of a friend he was. But he came and says, you got to read this book. And it was the latest, greatest trend in Christianity. This is recent. And so... He says goodbye. He leaves the book there. The pastor, when the, when the gentleman leaves, he takes the, the book and begins to read it. And he didn't get about two or three pages into it. And he said the Lord just smote his heart and smote him. And he got on his knees and repented. God said, this is not of me. He heard five words. And that was it. And he shut it up. He didn't read the whole 200 pages or whatever it was. He read a few paragraphs. God was gracious enough and kind to him enough to say, this is not of me. He closed it up. God, forgive me. He wept before the Lord. But if had he, what if he had heard, heard that from the Lord? This is not of me. But he brushed that aside. We're not robots. We could brush that aside. Right? We could brush that aside and, and say that God didn't just say that to me. I just thought that myself. That was my own thoughts. And this guy that gave me the books, a wonderful Christian brother. And if he said it ministered to him, then it must be wonderful. I'm going to keep reading this. And every page, God is convicting him about it. Kind of like Balaam with the, don- the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn about to kill him. The donkey's got more sense than he does and protecting him from what surely would have been death. God, we're not donkeys, but we can act like it sometime or, or foolish like Balaam. And, and he's convicting us and we persist in it. Don't do that. You're not missing out on something. 
That's a lie. That's one of his deceitful tricks. You know, uh, Alberto and Dalian, y'all are really missing out on such and such. The latest, greatest trend in Christianity and the greatest, greatest experiences. You know, this will change your life. It's wonderful. It's all about biblical. It's all of Jesus. Read this. It's wonderful. It's good for you. Go hear this. Go hear that. And you're missing out on something. Like there's this huge hole in your relationship with Jesus. And this will fill it. Satan wants to appeal to us in that way and make us discontent. If I am discontent, it's not God's fault. And he has the answer. If I am discontent, I go to the Lord. Come unto me all that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He wants to satisfy us. He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. He does. And so the Bible tells us that our adversary, the devil, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfastly in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brothers that are in the world. In other words, other Christian brothers. And the Bible says there's no temptation taking you but such that is common to man. But God is faithful. Okay? He's not going to allow you to be tempted above that you're able. He makes a way of escape. The Bible says take heed when you think, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so Satan is always present to kind of trip us up as a roaring lion. He doesn't do it like big and scary. He does it for believers that know the Lord, know the Word of God, trying to get us uh, subtly just a little bit off, just swallow a little bit of error with your truth, and he might wait a few more months and give you another little dose. Okay? Then speak some really good, allow you to hear some really good things and speak another little dose. And he's got time. He can wait. You see what I'm saying? And, and so we need to understand that is to be expected. You should expect him to try to do that in your life. But you don't have to fear that. The strength is in Christ. The, the, the protection is in Christ, but it's in no other. There's no, in no other means than what He has provided for us. If I'm constantly and consistently neglecting my relationship with the Lord in prayer and the Bible, then I'm setting myself up for it. And so, there's no... He, he, the devil can do his worst, or you can call it his best, however you want to look at it. Let the devil do his worst and bring the most subtle, crafty, numerous deceptions and a lot of people that you know and around you and they're, they're all uh, amening the false. Let him do his worst. It's still going to have no effect in your life or my life unless I give heed to it. That's why I defined that word. And that's why the Bible points out that word. Do you know, sadly, the Bible says that many, as we come to these last days especially, are going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I don't know if that it's a majority or anything like that. I don't know that. But I do know the Bible says some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. There will be people and there are people that give heed to it. I want to read this quote from Dave Hunt. I think I read it a few weeks ago. Evil is at its worst when it passes as good and justifies itself with lies. Evil is at its worst when it passes as good. That's the deceptive part. Passing off as being, you know, world peace or, or this new touch in, in your heart from the Lord or whatever it may be. It passes as good and justifies itself with lies. How does it happen? How is it that some will depart from the faith? It happens, and, and 
Only when a person gives heed to the false. Only that way. And so the Bible said, and we read it at the beginning, the first passage we read, that the time will come when what's going to happen? Men will not endure sound doctrine. Okay, so we're going to break this down a little bit. We're going to close with this thought. How does it happen? What are the mechanics that actually happen? Satan's doing his thing. He's out deceiving and lying and he's had thousands of years to hone his skills. He's very good at it. He leaves for a little while and comes back and he's always doing his best. He says, that's pretty clever. But it only has effect on my life if I give heed to it. Okay? If I give heed to it. And here's how a person would come to the place where they would give heed to the false. I believe we can put these passages together in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. It says that the time will come will they. He's not speaking about lost people. Lost people are already lost. They're in the world. They don't give two cents for what we believe in Jesus. They're just not interested. Okay? The time will come when they, I believe it's speaking about people within the big heading of Christianity. Some might be saved, some not. They'd all consider themselves to be believers. Okay? When they will not give, will not endure sound doctrine. So I'm going to define a few words here. I don't like to be too over technical about stuff. But to me, when he says they will not, it's simply saying to me it's a matter of their will, right? It was a will. It was a choice. They will not. It doesn't say they cannot endure sound doctrine. It says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So it's a choice. It's a matter of their will. They won't endure it. So I'm going to give the definition. To hold oneself up against sound doctrine. That's what endure means. The time will come, that's the actual definition in strongest concordance. They won't bear with sound doctrine. They won't put up with sound doctrine. They won't forbear sound doctrine. And they won't hold their own self up in their life against sound doctrine. That's very telling, isn't it? So that's what it means when it says the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't take their own life, which we should do, and hold it up against sound doctrine. That's the only standard we have. I need Christ and truth and sound doctrine to constantly, I mean constantly, not a couple of times a year, not just on Sunday mornings in church, but constantly be examining my life, my speech, my thoughts, my actions, uh, how I spend my time. I need to constantly be lining that up with rightly divided sound doctrine. And saying, here's where you fall short. It's not depressing. It's encouraging because every time I fall short, He can help me. If I'm impatient, He can help me be more patient. It's like the old preacher said, folks, I'm not a patient person. I just don't like to wait. I mean, we hold ourselves up to sound doctrine and we find I'm lacking here. And instead of getting discouraged and getting depressed about it, we run to the Lord. That's sound doctrine. He helps us. Okay? But think about this. The time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound means healthy. Okay? Sound doctrine means healthy doctrine. Safe, true, whole, well, uncorrupt. It's not twisted at all. It's not perverted at all. It's 100% pure. I might not know it all perfectly, but what I do know is uncorrupt and pure and true. And I'm growing in my doctrine. I'm growing in my knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're to, uh, to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as believers. But we still are continuing in the truth. 
And that truth may be expanding and growing as we... Uh, it doesn't change, but in my life, my understanding of truth can grow. And my understanding of Jesus can grow. But it's uncorrupt. Okay? And so, let's keep moving. They will not endure sound doctrine, but what will they do? If you want to look back at it again in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will do this. Verse 4, they shall turn, and this is a choice as well, their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Fable means a tale, myth, fiction. They're not harmless tales, okay, like Jack and the Beanstalk. They're, they're lying, they're seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So, the Bible says in Hebrews, see that you refuse him not that speaks. When the Lord speaks, don't refuse him. But these people in these end times could be you or me if we don't, don't keep ourselves where we need to be in Christ, okay? Um, they won't give heed to seducing. I mean, they won't endure sound doctrine. So they're refusing the Lord when He speaks. But they will turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Okay? It says they're going to have itching ears. Itching ears. And they're going to heap to themselves teachers. Well, God's Holy Spirit's our teacher. And they're wonderful Bible teachers and ministers and so forth. Praise God for them. But there's a lot of faults, especially in the last days. And they're not going to want the truth and they're going to heap to themselves. They're scheduling another conference. And the next month, we're going to schedule another conference. And we're going to heap to ourselves people telling us these new things that are itching. They're scratching our itching ears, basically. They're telling us what we want to hear. We're on the edge of our seats. We're getting goosebumps. And, and, and yet, it's not the truth. Because they've turned from the truth. And they're heaping to themselves these teachers of the false. And so, it's very key. To me, I see a direction. And I always look for a direction in a person's life. If I'm looking at an individual or in my own life, and say, was there ever a point, Clinton used to say, if there's ever a point in your life where you were closer to Jesus than you are today, then you're backslidden. Okay, and you say, that's pretty harsh. But to, to me, I understand the point of it. If, if there's ever a time in your life where you are closer to Jesus than you are now, that means you're going a direction. Always look at directions. More than just where you are. I'm really strong in the Lord. I'm really weak in the Lord or whatever. What direction are you moving? Are you being moved from glory to glory? Are you growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Are you being strengthened in the inner man? Are you, is your understanding of Christ growing? Is your love for the Lord growing? Not is it strong or weak, but is it growing? You see what I'm saying? If you're, is there, are you bearing a lot of fruit or little fruit? Or are, are you bearing fruit? Is it, is it coming? Is it increasing in your life? Direction is very, very important. So these people moved in a direction. That's why this is our main Scripture. Those two verses for today. They turned from the truth. That's the choice. They won't endure sound doctrine. They will not. Okay? And, so it's a direction. So if a person turns from the truth and they won't endure it, they won't hold themselves up against it any longer, uh, they might say, yeah, yeah, I still believe all that stuff. But they're not holding their lives up in line with it. 
uh, they're moving a direction. And what direction are they moving? If you're turning from the truth, what direction is left? If the truth is, say, on this side, I'm following after Christ imperfectly, and I sin, and I ask God to forgive me, and I keep moving with the Lord, and I turn from that, the only 360 degrees I look is going to be false. If I'm turning from the truth, all that's left is lies. Some more subtle than others, but it's all fables, is what the Bible says here. And so it's a direction. And we have to look at your own life. I'm not saying, are you really doing great with God or poorly with the Lord as much as are you growing? Do you want to grow? Do you want to grow now as much as you ever wanted to grow? You see what I'm saying? Or you just put it on autopilot because you're not on autopilot. You're, you're slipping backwards. And so am I. These people turn their ears from the truth. That's a choice, right? Make one more point about this. And they shall be turned. That's not a choice. It's sobering. I want you to think about it. I make a choice to say I'm turning my ears from the truth. I'm tired of hearing that same old stuff about Moses parting the Red Sea. And I'm tired of hearing the same old thing about Jesus dying from our cross on the, on the cross for my sins. And He's the way, the truth, and the life. And, and we're to be holy like He saw. I'm tired of hearing all that. And so they turn their ears from the truth choice that they made. The second thing that happens as a result of that is not a choice that they made. They shall be turned onto fables. So you get the idea here that somebody is going to take over the ship now. And I'm going to turn you to fables. You made a choice. You could have stayed safe in the truth. But you stepped away from that. And I'm going to turn you to fables. It's a battle. This is not a game. Satan's not playing a game. It's not a joke. It's not just, well, let me try this for a while. You go try this thing that you know God's already convicted you of. It's not of the Lord and you've got reservations about and you're, you wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Let me just go try for a little while. All my friends are gone. Some of some, quote, Christian activity or concert or music or teaching or book or whatever. It's serious. And it's not harmless. And so we turn our ears from the truth. It's only a, it'll be a choice that we make. I'm not going to endure sound doctrine. And then I'll be turned. It will happen. Okay? It will happen. And not maybe it will happen. It does happen. So if a person chooses to turn away from the truth, all that's left is the false. I want to give one quick example. I'm going to close with this this morning. We might talk a little bit more about this. I feel like, I don't feel like, I, I believe according to the Word of God, there are times that Christians mark false. Especially when they would be pertinent to us and maybe uh, contemporary, coexisting in our day. All right? No, no great pleasure in doing this. We've all heard of uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California. And Bill Johnson, Johnson is a senior pastor there. Um, I know people and you know people that might follow his teachings and read his books and follow the music out of his church, which is very popular, uh, Jesus culture, and follow that. There was a girl, this is very recent, named Lindsay Davis. She was, she's 18 years old. She was part of this 
Bethel. It's called the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. It's a three-year college or school at their church. Uh, about nine, th- uh, sorry, about four thousand students combined in the three years together. It's a lot of people. The church, at, local church there in Reading, has about nine thousand members, and literally millions around the world that follow. It's like a mecca to a lo- certain group of quote Christianity. It's like a mecca where uh, I think fifty percent of the students that come to that school of supernatural ministry are from other countries. They leave everything. They pack up their families, their little kids. They come. They're trained. They're taught. And they want to go back and promote it. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Okay? There's no pleasure in in talking about it. But at the same time, it's something that is relevant to our day. I could talk about the Judaizers. I could talk about the Nicolaitans or something like that. But this is something in our day. And so this girl, uh, she was in the school during her first year. It's been about a year there, I believe. And some friends had brought her there and said, this is what you need. She thought she was going to get trained and on fire for God. She legitimately wanted to serve the Lord. She had had gotten saved out of a Catholic church. And and truly born again. And so she goes there and she's, she's there and as she's sitting under the teachings in the school and in the teachings of the school there's also the activities of the school, the Bible studies and the worship services and everything that goes on there. She starts to question, seriously question some of the things that are going on. Some of the phenomenon, experiences of the people going on around her. Some of the statements that are said. So many things that she never hears mentioned, like a clear presentation of the Gospel. Never. While she's there. And she begins to question it. And this teaching to the statements and how the teachers... uh, Bill Johnson is referred to by the students as Papa Bill. He's known as the Apostle. An Apostle. He is called the Gatekeeper of Wisdom. And everybody sits on the edges of their seats to hear what he has to say. And it's rarely, if ever, supported by Scripture. Okay? Unless it's a Scripture that happens to support what he's saying. Wrongly divided. Well, she began to question this. She was told not to question her teachers. She was asked the question, do you think, possibly, Lindsay, that you have a religious spirit? And this is the type of things that came back at her when she began to question some of the things going on there. Do you have, you have a rebellious spirit? And so forth. And uh, it was only by the grace of God. So I'm not going to get into a lot of the details. We may talk about Bethel and their teachings, okay? More later. But it was only by the grace of God, totally on her own. Obviously, she didn't have a good pastor at that time and so forth, that she questioned and she didn't ignore the warnings that she had. She went into it innocently, really wanting to serve God. I think most people would. Okay? So it's not a criticism. They're all a bunch of yahoos right off the bat. She's going there legitimately to want to serve God. And to grow and to be sent out on the mission field. But she begins to question things going on and experiences and teachings in the way that people... Every time one of the teachers, Bill Johnson or Chris, I forgot his last name who's the, the associate. Uh, they're both known as the prophets. 
And every time they step up, everybody stands up. Before they say a word, they stand up and clap for them. They sit down and five minutes later, they stand up again. You have to stand up and clap for them for a long, long time. And she said she looked around and said, they must be awesome. <laughs> they must be unbelievably awesome because every single day in class, as soon as they step up there, the whole group stands up with this exuberant applause for them. And they must be great. And if I'm, there's something, I'm, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe it's me that's not getting it, so to speak. And that's a common thing, right? It's a common thought. So it was only by the grace of God that she would go and she began to pray and she began to seek the Lord and she would pray every night, all night. I listened to her testimony. And she, she would pray till like five in the morning, all through the night. She went back and studied the Word of God, the truth. She revisited the real Gospel and began to read it and study it. And, not, and she shut out all the other stuff. And it was only through that, going to what saith the Scriptures, and through that, God opened her eyes and, and brought her out. And she felt not only that she should leave, but, but she had a lot of good friends there that were sincere and sincerely deceived that she had to make a public statement. I think she did it on Facebook or however, YouTube or something. And, and uh, she absolutely got blasted for it, like you could imagine. Okay? Even by those friends she was trying to help. But, uh, but God did open her eyes and brought her out and showed her don't give heed. You know, in the, in the corner of the room, I think in the sanctuary of, of Bethel Church in Reading, that there's this barrel, like you would see a big pickle barrel, a whiskey barrel or something, and it's literally labeled the honey barrel. And when somebody, quote, needs a touch from God or an attitude adjustment, they'll go stick this, their head, and there's nothing in it but air. They'll stick their head down in this barrel and come out laughing or falling down. Uh, and they're told that the, uh, this is just God's glory so powerful in this place. That they're drunk in the Spirit and they're this. Uh, God's moving upon them. The students are taught to prophesy. You don't read that in the Bible. God makes a prophet. God calls a prophet. God ordains a prophet. He speaks what God puts in His mouth. We're not taught as a rote, you know, discipline how to prophesy. God speaks. He's, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. The students are taught to heal. The students are taught to think God's thoughts. And it comes a point, she even said this, she would think something bizarre, but she was told, whatever you're thinking, that's God's thought. You see how twisted and perverted? I think lots of things that aren't God. They're sinful, or they're just carnal, or they're just stupid, okay? And they're just out there. And I've done stupid things based on my thoughts before, all right? Can't blame God for that. Every thought, I do have the mind of Christ, but every thought I think is not God's thought. I think my own, and I need to judge that according to the Word of God and line it up with the Word of God. And so. Anyway, she, it was the grace of God that brought her out. And I'm just closing with this. Pray for them. Okay, I think it would be wrong for us to mark somebody and, and not to lift them up in prayer and the people that are there, that are part of it, that thinking, this is so awesome. This is so much the Lord. You can see how easily that's reinforced when there's 9,000 people there. 
And when people stand up, the whole group claps every time they come up. If you were new to that, you'd say, well, I can't wait. You hear what they got to say. It must be unbelievable. They must be the most holy, wonderful gatekeeper of wisdom the world's ever known. You know, and, and it's and they come into this and then uh, it's only the grace of God that we would not be there. OK, or following after that. Pray for them. Pray for Bill Johnson and those that are under that ministry. But I'm going to close with this. The Bible says, don't don't give heed to that. Don't give place to Satan. And that's one of the ways we give place to him and by turning our ears from the truth, bored with it. I want something new. Better watch out. Don't even entertain it. Like that pastor opening up that book. And even after he opened it, God showed him. Okay? And like I said, he could have persisted. We do have a will. We can be very stubborn sometimes. And I'll persist in it. Don't do that. When God has showed you something, then take heed to what He has shown you. The Bible says, take heed to yourselves in your doctrine, Paul says. Take heed that no man deceive you, Jesus said. Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Don't give it a well maybe, well there's some truth there. Or my friends are doing that and everybody else seems to think it's fine and they've been serving God longer than I have. And they think it's okay. I've asked them and they don't see one problem with it. Don't entertain that if God has showed you that it's false. Even if you can't pinpoint the exact Scripture, but you know in your spirit, by the Holy Spirit, beware. Danger. Danger signals go off. I'm uncomfortable with that. This is not spiritually, this is making me ill. Okay? And making me sick. Don't give heed to it. Amen? And I'm going to close with this. You can come up. In Isaiah 30, 15, I'll just read it. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel in returning unto Himself, okay? To a backsliding Israel. In returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. And so that, that's just to me a picture of the Lord is saying where the rest is going to be and the strength is going to be. The quietness, the strength and coming back to me. There's confidence there. There's strength and there's rest. There's no rest in, in the turmoil or the confusion. And you can step over some bounds and God only knows where it is. I can step so far into the false that I am the, the deception is complete, so to speak. And it's almost like it's sealed. And I think I'm serving God 100%. And I'm in a lie. It, that, that part is scary. But there's a million warnings and Christ Himself in this Bible that I would have to step over in order to get there. He's not just, oh, they made a mistake. I'm going to let them go. Be deceived. Satan can have them. No, he does, it's, we have at every turn, the Lord's going to convict us and show us in quietness and rest, returning to the Lord shall be your salvation. And you would not. Pray that we would. Amen. And we don't have to stray to even come to that place. Just walk with the Lord. Y'all stand with me this morning.